Well, welcome to our series, We Want to See Jesus. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, what we're doing is looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. And typically we think Jesus is in the New Testament of the Bible, the, the second part of the Bible, because there we learn about his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, the start of the Christian church. Uh, and yet if we look at the Old Testament, we see him there too. We see him foreshadowed prophesied. We see how the shadow of things to come is the reality found in Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been marching our way through the Old Testament as we get closer to Christmas. And then as we get to Christmas, we're going to see the baby Jesus lying in the manger, the one that the Old Testament foreshadowed, the one we've been seeing for 10 weeks is born. We started this entire series looking at Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Uh, God told them not to eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and what did they do? They ate fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. They wronged God. God said, don't do this, and they did it. They wronged him. And ever since then, humanity has been sinning against the Lord, doing what God has told them not to do. We have wronged him. And so here's the question I want to focus on today, uh, is how do we handle our guilt? What do you do with the guilt that you face and you feel? When I was in my second year at seminary in Wisconsin, uh, we had a a pastoral counseling class uh, where we took a field trip to the maximum security prison uh, to interview... two inmates, both guys, both in there for life. The first one was in there uh, because it was a winter Wisconsin day, and he went ice fishing where he got really drunk, he took a bunch of drugs, and then he drove home. And while he was driving home, he had a head-on collision with a young boy and his father on their way to the Milwaukee Bucks game, and he killed them both. The other one who was sitting next to him was in, in for life for molestation. They both admitted, we deserve to be here. Our crimes have brought us here, and it rightfully so. And yet it was really interesting to hear them talk about, even though they're getting what they deserve, they're getting punished, their guilt is not removed. Because what haunts them is where would their victims be today if they hadn't done what they did? If they could just go back and change what they did, what would the victims' lives be like today? And they sit there in prison getting punished for their sins, and yet they know this isn't really making amends to the family. This isn't making reparations. Yes, I'm being punished, but does this really repair the damage that I've done. No, they said. And they sit there racked with guilt. And there's nothing they can do. Now, we may not have murdered anybody. We may not have molested anybody. And yet, what do you do with your guilt? The mom guilt, the dad guilt that you face, that you feel. What do you do with the guilt that you, that you feel 
as you sit here a few days removed from saying those hurtful things that you know you shouldn't have said and you wish you didn't, but you can't take them back. What do you do with the guilt that you feel for the secret that you're hiding? What do you do with the guilt of what's called imposter guilt? People think you're one way, but you're just living an imposter lifestyle when really you're someone else and you feel guilty about it. What do you do with the guilt that you face for the actions that you did and you can't take them back, but you replay it over and over again in your head? What do you do with the guilt from the regrets that you wish you could just redo, but you can't? How do we deal with it? What do we do? Where does the guilt come from? Because it, for some of us, we know that this is true too. We apologize and we make amends with, with uh, the person we hurt, and they said, I forgive you, don't worry about it, and yet it still pops up. The guilt still creeps in. So what do we do? This is what we're going to answer today as we look at Leviticus chapter 16. In the Old Testament, uh, 1500 B.C., the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, and the uh, Israelites uh, were freed by God through their leader Moses, and he brought them out into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years, waiting to enter into the land of Canaan. As they're in the wilderness for 40 years, God sets up worship practices for the people, uh, and what he sets up is the tabernacle, the tent of worship. And God had all these festivals, he had all these sacrifices, all this way of worship lined out for the people, and one of the festivals they were to celebrate on a yearly basis was called the Day of Atonement. That's what we're going to look at as we look at Leviticus chapter 16, and we're going to start with the first two verses here. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. They said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he's not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he'll die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Let's stop right there. What is going on? What's the most holy place? What's the atonement cover? What's happening? Uh, go ahead with the next slide. This is what a, a depiction of what the tabernacle would have looked like. And so in the front there, you see you enter, you've got the altar where sacrifices happen, and then you have this tent. And that, if you can see, that front room right there is called the holy place. Uh, that is where the priests went in and they, they lit incense uh, to the Lord. They offered prayers. But then you can kind of tell where that smoke is coming up. That is the back room. That back room is called the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And God said, this is the room I dwell in. This is where I live among you. And you can see a big purple curtain that separates that room from everything else. God said to Aaron, Moses' brother, you can't come back here whenever you want, however you want. Or you're going to die just like Aaron's sons died. They tried to approach the Lord how they wanted, and fire came out from the Lord and killed them both. 
And so, Aaron, you want to come back here? You better listen to my instructions on how you get back here. It seems harsh, doesn't it? God, he's just going behind a curtain. What's God teaching Aaron and the people, and what's God teaching us? There's a great divide between us and God. There's something getting in the way of us having a relationship. And it's our sin. Do you think that the two men sitting in prison would have a good relationship with their victims' families if they were out of prison? Absolutely not. Would you want to have a good relationship with them if that happened to you or your family members? No. What God is teaching us here is there is a great divide, and whose fault is it? It's not God's. It's ours. There's something that separates us and God, and it's sin, and we have wronged God more than we realize. That's your first point today. We have wronged God more than we realize. If you read through the book of Leviticus, uh, a lot of people, if you start your Bible reading plan, you get to Leviticus and you're like, well, I've had enough. Um, Because you get to Leviticus and what is it? It's a lot of laws. Do not do this. Do not do that. It's a lot of, here, if you eat this type of animal, you're unclean. If this happens, you're unclean. Um, It's all laid out there. But what's the purpose of that? Why does God spend an entire book of Leviticus telling us all of these laws? It's not so that you and I follow it to make sure we follow it to a T because we can't. Instead, what does it do for us? It reveals how often we wrong God. How unholy we are. How many times we rob God of His holiness. And we don't realize how often that is until you read through Leviticus. And you see things like we would expect to see in there. Do not lie. Do not deceive. Do not slander. We expect that to be in there. But then there are things like this. If you have a sore and it's oozing, you are unclean before the Lord and cannot come into his presence. Why? Because the body that God created to be perfect is no longer perfect. We have robbed him of his holiness. And get this. We often think that we're just responsible for ourselves, and it's true. But if I have a, a sore and it's oozing, and I touch a pot, and then you touch the same pot, guess what? You're unclean too. And so is the pot. Because that's how invasive sin is. This is how much we have wronged God. Oh, and there's one more. In Leviticus chapter 5, God says, uh, if they have sinned and they don't know that they have sinned, they will be held responsible. They will be guilty and held responsible even though we don't know it. Think of all of the wrongs then that we have committed against God. I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again because I think it fits here. Uh, I'm not really big into math, but let's consider this. What would you say is a good day of sin? Not like a good day like you had a lot of sin. It's a good day I didn't sin very much. (laughs) Once an hour? 
Would that be pretty good? Including your thoughts? That's 24 in a day. Over the course of a year, that's 8,750 sins. Over the course of 75 years, that's 657,000 sins against the Lord. And that's if we have good days every day. We have wronged the Lord. And we know what it's like to be wronged and there be a divide in a relationship. And God says, this is where your guilt stems from. If you're not a Christian here today, you know what guilt is too. Why? Because the Lord has written his law on our hearts. And when we feel guilty, it's not just because we've, bro- we've hurt somebody else, but our relationship with God has been broken. King David in 1000 BC was ruling over Israel, and uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and through that she got pregnant, and his solution was, I got to kill her husband. So he not only committed adultery, he then committed murder, and in Psalm 51, when he's writing about it, what does he say? Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned, because every sin is against the Lord. And so if you're feeling guilty, it's not just because you've wronged somebody else. You have wronged God, and there's a great divide between us. So how do we deal with it? If our ultimate sin, if our ultimate guilt comes from a broken relationship with God, how could we possibly make amends? Check out what God has the people do. Aaron the high priest is to offer the blood for his own sin, or the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he has to take two goats and present them uh, before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the goat, two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them and in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. So what does God say to do? Bring two goats. Bring two goats before the Lord, cast a lot, and whatever lot lands on that first one, that is the goat that is to be sacrificed. And then Aaron was to take a bowl, bowl of that blood, go behind the curtain, and sprinkle seven times on the Ark of the Covenant. Seven times at the base of the Ark of the Covenant. Then go out to the tent of meeting and sprinkle seven times the blood of the goat. And what does God say happens through this? Atonement. Reparations have been made. The people have made amends with God for their sins. But then, God does something else. There's a second goat, 
Verse 20, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on, its, on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So first, what do we have? The goat is sacrificed, blood spilled, scattered, sprinkled. Then the next goat, with Aaron's hand still bloody, he places his hands on top of that goat's head and confesses all of the sins of the Israelite community, and then he sends it away. And what do the people see as the goat goes away? There goes my sin. There goes the sins that I commit. It's God's way of announcing forgiveness to the people. The sacrifice has been made, blood shed, atonement's been made, reparations have been made, and now watch your sin go on the scapegoat. And the key phrases, I don't know if you caught it, whatever sins they have committed, all of their sins, it doesn't matter how long the list is, it doesn't matter what it is, the sacrifice has been made, and the sins have been sent away. They no longer cling to the community of Israel. This is why it was called the Great Day of Atonement. Because every single year, they made this sacrifice. They did this process so that the people knew we are good with God. We have peace with Him. Reparations have been made with our God. There's nothing dividing us anymore. The only problem, if we look at the letter to the Hebrews, what's it say? The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Why did they have to do this year after year? Because this was only a shadow of what was to come. The reality is found in Jesus. The goat of sacrifice, the scapegoat for our sin. God sent His Son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. Stop and think about that for a second. We sin, we wrong God, and what does God do? He is the one who makes amends with us. And that's your first point. We wronged God, or second point, we wrong God, but God makes amends. Think of how crazy this is. Imagine those victims, those victim families of those two guys sitting in prison. They committed the crime, they committed the wrong, and it would be like the family saying, you wronged us, but we're going to pay the price so that we can have a good relationship. We're going to repair this broken relationship that you did. We're going to do what it takes to make sure your guilt is removed. We're going to pay the price and we're going to have a good relationship. That would never happen, right? And yet that's exactly what God did for you. We read from 1 John chapter 2 earlier, Jesus Christ, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. God's Son, Jesus, was the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice to make atonement for all of your sins. It is Jesus who is the one who makes amends for you with God. 
He is the one who makes reparations for you with God as he sheds his blood on the cross to take away all of your sin. But not only that, he's also our scapegoat where all of our sins were placed on him, sent out from the walls of Jerusalem to the remote place of Mount Calvary where God sent your sins away through Jesus. And that's your last point. God sent your sins away. This is why Psalm 103 uh, says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your guilt from you. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been sent away. Just like the Israelites watched as their sins went away on that scapegoat, we watch our sins go away from us, no longer clinging to us because of Jesus, the one who all of our sins have been placed on. They're no longer yours. And just like the Israelites, whatever sins, however long your list, no matter what you've done, Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement, and through him, your sins have been sent away, your guilt is removed. Jesus is the fulfillment of the day of atonement. The great day of atonement, Good Friday, when Jesus goes out to the cross on Calvary and sheds his blood, taking your sin, the atoning sacrifice, and now we've been sprinkled with his blood. This is why Romans chapter 8 says this, who is it that condemns? No one. No one can condemn you. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, interceding for you. Every time you sin, what does Jesus say to the Father? I paid for that. No one can condemn them. Anytime the devil comes in and, and accuses you, what does Jesus say? Nope. Paid for that one too. They're forgiven. Debt clean. Guilt removed. What does this do for you and me? Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What does this do for you and me? We have confidence to go behind the curtain, so to speak. The curtain that on Good Friday was torn in two, we have confidence to go into the presence of our God. Not squeamish, not uneasy, not filled with guilt, not ashamed, but we have confidence to go to Him because we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Through Him, we have been, Jesus has made amends. He's repaired our relationship with God and we go confidently before Him. As we close up this morning, I want to give you two uh, practical things to go with. Number one, how do we deal with guilt? It's good to sit here and, and, and hear all this, but how do we deal with it now going forward? Uh, I, I talked to a guy this week, and, or actually it was last week, and he said that uh, he felt guilty because he, he was talking to a client and she was taking forever and ever, and he said, just show me here, show me here, show me here. And finally, he, he got a little upset, and, he, and 
a little harsh with her and said, just show me. And he said he was feeling guilty. And so how did he deal with it? He said, I had to go home and work out. That doesn't deal with your guilt. That just pushes it aside. How do we deal with guilt? We come before the Lord and we confess, here's what I've done. Lord, here's how I've sinned against you. But through the blood of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for my sins, you promise that you have sprinkled me to cleanse me from a guilty conscience. I'm at peace with you. Remove my guilt, and I know you have through Jesus. Confess, and then be confident in the promise that God has made to you that your sins are forgiven through Jesus. Second application point. Give this rest to others. We live in a world that wants justice and demands justice from everyone and everything. We have a God who gives rest to us by making atonement. Let's give the forgiveness that we have been given. Let's forgive like Jesus has forgiven us, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. And we can because we have a God who has a good relationship with us because of Jesus. He can heal our hearts. He can mend brokenness, and he will. And so let's give forgiveness just like we've been forgiven. May God be with us as we enjoy this rest of forgiveness through our goat, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you for being uh, the goat of atonement and the scapegoat that we so desperately need. Through you, uh, we have had our hearts sprinkled with your blood shed on the cross. Uh, we've watched as our sins have, are no longer attached to us, but they have been driven out of the walls of Jerusalem out to the cross of Calvary where you have shed your blood uh, to remove them completely. Now, as far as the east is from the west, you have removed our guilt from us. Uh, no one can condemn us because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you've paid for our sins. What joy that is, uh, what joy it is to know that we've been cleansed and that our guilty conscience doesn't need to bother us anymore. Let us bring the guilt we face to you. Let us leave it at, the cross, at your cross knowing that you have paid it all. Uh, give us the confidence and give us the trust to know uh, that you have forgiven our sins, and let us be at peace and at rest uh, because we are forgiven through you. We ask you to help us to give this rest to more and more people in a world that is so desperate for forgiveness, so desperate uh, to not feel guilty, we have the solution. So let us give the forgiveness that, we've been forgive, or that we have been given uh, so that we can lead them to you, the ultimate forgiver, the one who cleanses us from our sin. In your name we pray. Amen.